From the Financial Times in London, I'm Jonathan Wheatley. This is FT News. There is a new president in Argentina. Mauricio Macri has, surprisingly perhaps, defeated the Peronist candidate, the continuation candidate, after 12 years of Kishnerismo, if that's how we say it. Here to discuss it with me is John Paul Rathbone, our Latin American editor. John Paul, people have been describing this as a vote for change. How much actually will change in Argentina? I think potentially a lot. And it's not as though the country doesn't need to change. This is an economy not quite yet erupted into crisis, but very fragile. And so it's going to change willy-nilly whether Macri does anything purposeful in that direction or not. And he has said he will. That's further down the road. More immediately, you're going to see an ideological reorientation perhaps and in some of his first words in his first press conference on Monday he talked about how he wanted to have better relations with the United States which is not something that characterized the Kirshnerite administration he wanted Venezuela expelled from Mercosur the regional trade group on the grounds that the country didn't comply with Mercosur's democratic charter and so that's just a little sense of where Argentina could be going over the next four years. But Argentina does have some large and pressing problems doesn't it? It's got very large inflation it's got a budget deficit of what seven percent of, of GDP. Of GDP. Yeah I mean just to go through the numbers it's got almost no reserves. The central bank wants you net out liabilities. It's got two billion of central bank reserves. It's got an unsustainable exchange rate policy. The peso is overly strong. Again, one example, the Brazilian real, and Brazil is Argentina's closest trade partner. Over the past year, the Brazilian real has depreciated 45% against the dollar. Over that same period, the Argentine peso has depreciated of an order of 14%. And what's happened in Brazil to its currency is true of the rest of the region as well. Currencies which are floating have depreciated sharply with the end of the commodities boom, and Argentina hasn't. So no reserves, unsustainable exchange rate policy, inflation running at about 20% or so. Uh, It's locked out of international capital markets because of this long-running saga with holdout hedge fund creditors in New York. Complete lack of transparency in government accounts. How much of that presents urgent problems that need immediate action and how much of it can he sort of put to one side while he gets on with launching a new regime or setting up his new cabinet and improving relations with other countries and so on? I think on the economy, one way of looking at it is shock treatment. There's a lot of merit to shock treatment because you get all the the bad news out of the way, you get all the pain out of the way early, and you anchor expectations about what's going to happen next. The problem with shock treatment is that if, say, he was to allow the peso to devalue or depreciate very sharply, then inflation is going to rise even more. Interest rates, in theory, would have to come up to squash inflation, and that's going to be very recessionary. So you've got a new president coming in, promising change, and the first thing that most Argentines would see as a result of that change would be economic pain. Not an obviously good way to start. And how inured are Argentines to economic pain? Is that something they'd accept, or would he find himself in deep trouble? It's so difficult to tell because before the election, it seemed as though the continuity candidate was going to do well on the basis of turkeys don't vote for Christmas. Mm. On the other hand, his basic promise of his election campaign was change. Let's change. That's the name of his coalition. So clearly Argentines do want change. And after 12 years of one husband and wife double act being in power, 12 years is certainly a ripe time for change. On the other hand, working against change is this Argentine memory is seared with the experience of the debt default and devaluation of 2002, which was so painful. So a stiff, 
classical, orthodox, IMF-led adjustment program carries particularly heavy weight in Argentina. But the candidate of the situation, as they say, that was the fear card that he played, and it didn't work, it did didn't, it? It didn't work. One way of looking at it is that the desire for change outweighed the fear for change. Okay, now one of the things that he has promised to deal with quickly is, as you mentioned, the holdout problem, the holders of defaulted debt that have refused to take part in the various restructuring programs that there have been over the past 13 years now since the default. He's promising a quick solution. Is there one? Can that be done? It's so difficult to think oneself into the minds of the Argentines, let alone Paul Singer, who owns Elliott, which is the hedge fund that has launched this case. Mm. This is a case that's been going on for 13 years. Now, Paul Singer, what does he do? He spent a lot of money on this case, 13 years of legal fees, and he will want to get a return. Plus, there's a moral element. He's won a technical ruling uh, by cloaking himself in the theology of contract law. You cannot default, you must pay. Mm -hmm. That's his position. On the other hand, the weight of international law seems to be moving against the holdouts. So do you reach a settlement and then, you know, cut your losses? So that's the sort of the singer position. And Argentina has got a sort of similar dichotomy. Do you settle with the holdouts and pay them whatever it takes? two, three billion and swallow the pain and then regain access to capital markets. That doesn't sound like a very high price to pay for access to capital markets. I mean, Argentina badly needs investment. It needs to be able to borrow money. Two or three billion dollars. I mean, surely, is there, don't they have that money in the bank? No, the Argentines do not have that money in the bank. In fact, because central bank reserves are two billion dollars and falling. Are there no crops coming up that they can export and reap the benefit? Ah, yes. Okay. We're looking stock versus (laughs) flows. On the flows basis, yes, there should be money coming in because another important policy that Macri wants to do is he wants to cut export taxes on soya crops and, in fact, all agricultural crops. So this is supposedly going to lead to a sudden sale of stored grains, which would immediately bring in dollars, yes. Okay. Now, one final question then. There's been a certain amount of comment about Argentina being a a nation divided. It was 51% for him, 49% for the other guy. Some commentators are describing this as half the country in favour of modernism and change, and the other half being in favour of Peronism and more of the same. Is it really a divided nation? Well, it's two observations about that. First of all, how much did Macri win by? Three points. And how much did, say, uh, Dilma Rousseff, Nicolas Maduro, Michel Bachelet, Enrique Peña Nieto, or Juan Manuel Santos, the presidents of many other countries in Latin America? Comparable amounts. Does anyone say those countries are divided? They do say that about Brazil. And interestingly there, you've got the north-south divide in Brazil between the Workers' Party in the north and the richer states to the south. In Argentina, it's more the center is with Macri and the north and southern extremities are with the Peronists. And in Brazil, people talked about the country being divided and how the PT, the Workers' Party in the north, was like a heartland that showed, you know, Brazil will be forever PT. Now you've had this scandal. You've seen the commodity price crash. You've seen this incredible recession. And the PT, the Workers' Party, are completely out of favor and Dilma Rousseff's popularity rating is the lowest in Brazilian history. Now, is that a country divided? It seemed to be so last year, but today it doesn't feel that way either. We're not saying there's anything approaching that kind of scandal brewing in Argentina, but you are suggesting that people maybe have just had enough of the way things were. Essentially, yes. Thank you for that clarification. (laughs) (laughs) JP, thanks very much. Plenty to watch, plenty to see as uh, the coming weeks and months. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves 
without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Sunfold.